If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. And I've shared with you before that um, as a child growing up in the 70s and 80s, I was what you would call a latchkey kid. And a latchkey kid was a term that was given to those whose both parents worked and you came home on your own, you rode the bus home, you got off the bus, you had a key yourself, you went and you, you opened the door to the house and you went in and made your own snack and did homework, which really meant turning the TV on and enjoying the afternoon TV shows that they played every day in the 70s and 80s. And so I, uh, it was something I couldn't miss. One of those things that you develop a habit and you come home and you made a snack and then I'd sit down and I had a routine. It was Leave it to Beaver and then Gilligan's Island and Beverly Hillbillies and just watch those things, you know, and it got to be an everyday thing. And for my generation, for people that are my age or around my age, television was a big part of our lives growing up. It was when we were children that not only color TVs began to, to be widespread and everybody began to have a color TV, but TVs began to be the central focus our living rooms and before you had a separate room where you might have the TV or you had the TV on a counter somewhere but beginning in the mid 70s they made TVs that were huge you remember the big unit TVs and they became furniture they became the centerpiece of the family room so as a child growing up you got to be a part of watching TV all the time and because of that Television became one of those touchstone moments for me. And what I mean by that is that I have memories of different ages in my life and what TV shows were a part of those ages. Now, some of you have songs, and a song may bring back a memory of a time in your life and take you back to that. Well, television shows do that for me. When I was in elementary school, I can remember as a, as a kid with my parents, early elementary school, it was all in the family. We gathered together and watched all in the family, and then it got became MASH. We started watching MASH, and that was a, a family-wide event that you didn't miss, and everyone wanted to come. And then as I moved up into high school and more into college, it became The Wonder Years, which was a wonderful television series. And then it became Cheers. I got to where I was watching Cheers every week. That reminds me of high school and college. And then when I became a young adult, I got married. It was Seinfeld. That was my show that I identified with. And fortunately, then I had kids and TV ceased to exist, except if it was Barney or Teletubbies or something like that. But television always had a huge impact on me. And, and today, I can be at home, and late at night, Nick at Night plays a lot of those reruns, and I can start watching a Gilligan's Island or start watching a MASH or, or watch a Seinfeld, and it brings back memories of those times. Now, I, I can't talk about Cheers because I'm a Baptist preacher, and Cheers was set in a bar, but Cheers was probably one of my favorite shows growing up. Because who didn't love the Cheers theme song? Because I think in that theme song and in what was taking place in that bar and Cheers is something that all of us have a longing for. I think we have a longing to be able to fit in somewhere. A longing to, to be able to go somewhere where people are, are part of our family away from our extended family. For those of you that didn't grow up, listen to the words for you young people that don't remember Cheers. Listen to the words to this theme song. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. Because you want to be where you can see that our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. 
Now that, that could become our closing church song instead of Family of God, right? I don't know that it would go over in the association and other churches might think it was, visitors might think we're a little strange. But I mean, do, it, doesn't that describe the church? Doesn't that describe what we are supposed to be? And unfortunately, more people today around us are all going and looking for that kind of place. But they're finding more community in, in bars, in gyms, and rec fields than they ever find in the church. See, when Jesus established the church, it was never intended to be some religious exercise that we do once a week. The church was created and intended to be a community, a family. Paul calls it a body. The church is supposed to be a place where people from all backgrounds and all races and colors and all areas of the community can come together for something bigger than themselves can come together and be a part of something that, that makes a difference. Now, as I was praying through this message and preparing this message, I really wrestled with the title of this message because I, I wanted it to represent what I felt like God was trying to say in this passage. But using the term authentic and community, I struggled with. Because in churches today, the word authentic and the word community have become catchphrases. They become religious cliches. We put them on our purpose statements, we put them on our signs, we put it on our t-shirts and whatever else it is that we try to advertise. But the problem is we're advertising something we're not producing. And it becomes a cliche, it becomes something that is just a, another catchphrase for the church because we, we are not as authentic and part of a community as God's called us to be. And more people are finding those things outside of the body of Christ. See, I'm afraid that people come looking desperately every week, longing for a place to find purpose, longing for a place to belong, longing for community. And many times when they come into our houses of worship, and instead of finding that, they find cliques of religious people that are more concerned that those people are sitting in their pews instead of engaging them. That's the reality. Now, we greet people and we smile and we shake hands, but that's about the extent of our engagement in other people's lives. We walk out the door and, and we go separately our own ways and we don't even think about each other until we come back together on Sunday and it was never intended to be that way. I'm not trying to make you mad before you start thinking I'm meddling. I, I'm not talking specifically about First Baptist. I'm talking about... The church, the church in America that's losing influence, the church in America that is closing its doors at record number, the church in America where we brag about growth but we're not really reaching people, we're just swapping sheep. People go from one church to the next. We're not out there reaching people that are unchurched. We're not out there reaching people that are not going someplace because they're finding community in their bar. They're finding community at the sports fields with all of their kids' parents. There was a pastor in Texas that I know that after 40 years of ministry decided retirement that he wanted to go and visit every church that was in his community. He made it a goal. He said, I'm going to go each Sunday and I'm going to go visit a different church, different sizes, different denominations. There were 83 churches in his community because after 40 years as a pastor, he was looking at it from the other side of the pew. 
And what stood out was out of those 83 churches that he visited, he said that in only three of those churches did he feel welcomed and engaged and a part of what was going on. Three out of 83. Now we can say, well, you know, that was probably his fault, but you need to recognize that perception is reality. Doesn't matter what you think you're doing. What matters is what the perception of people coming outside of the church into the church feel and see and sense. And even worse, he said, out of that 83 churches, over 45, more than half of them, not one person said a word to him. In our passage here in Romans 12, from the series we're calling Living Sacrifice, Paul is going to outline how those that call themselves Christ followers are supposed to act within the church. How we're supposed to treat one another. Basically, he's going to paint a picture of what sincere, authentic community is supposed to look like. How we are supposed to not just treat those we know, but everyone within the body of Christ indiscriminately. This message and this passage, as I read a couple of weeks ago, all the way up into this week, I have to tell you, it was, it, it was convicting to me. It was convicting to me because part of our purpose, as I said here at First Baptist Church, is to become a community. God's given me a vision that this place would be an authentic community for people of all races and colors and economic backgrounds, and not just Blowing Rock, not just Tauga County, but from all over, where they could come and find a place where they belong, where they fit. And so as I read through this, it, it was convicting to me that, that while our goal is to be this place, my question was, are we there? And if we're not there, how do we get there? Passage becomes a litmus test. It's a great way for you and I, and, and, and I have to say, where we are as First Baptist Church, we are leaps and bounds becoming a community more than we have ever been in my time of 10 years as pastor here. Much more. We've got people coming from all over. We've got people coming from Tennessee. We've got people coming from, from off the mountain. People coming from North Watauga County and Deep Gap and Blowing Rock. People coming from everywhere, from all types of backgrounds, all types of economic backgrounds, all types of color. And they're coming here and they are building a community. But as we do that, we can't settle. We can't grow comfortable. So my prayer is I want this passage to challenge you and to challenge me to examine ourselves and to see how we match up to what Paul is saying. So I want you to listen to what he says. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, where we ended off last week. Love must be sincere, hating what is evil, clinging to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now to help you get a picture of what he's saying here, I want to get in your mind to help you visualize what he's saying. I want you to think of building blocks. That's why I've called it building blocks or, or bricks. And I want you to think of it in terms of a building. Now, I know church is not the building. Church is the people. Too many times we equate church with the building. So I'm not trying to confuse you there. But what I want you to do to help visualize how this is put together is to think of each of these blocks or each of these bricks being an action that you and I do to help form a community. 
Because what he's done already in verses 1 through 9 is build a foundation for which we put these blocks on. He's already given us the foundation that a community of faith has to be built on. And now I know when we say foundation, we say Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. And the church was founded in and on Jesus Christ. But Jesus is not just the foundation. He's the walls and the roof and the, the air we breathe within the church. And so what I want you to do is picture this building with a foundation stones that the community of Christ is built up on. And what he's done in in the first couple of verses is give us five foundation stones that a community of faith has to stand on. Because you see, we can't do what I just read in verses 9 through 13 if we don't have the right foundation. And if we miss any one of these foundational principles, then what we build on top of it will never stand. When there's problems and there's difficulties in the church, if we're not built on the right foundation, those problems will cause the church to implode or explode or to decline or to decrease or to begin to die. But what I want you to do with this in mind is to keep these principles in your head as we paint a picture. And hopefully I can help you visualize it. Because you need to understand without any of these you and I can never be an active faith community. We can be attenders, we can be members, but we will never see the blessing that God has for us in this community, in this region, by becoming an authentic faith community. So I want to remind you of them, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I want you to think, and I want you to picture bricks. The first thing he told us in verse 1 is, offer your bodies a living sacrifice first brick of an authentic community, an authentic body of faith, is sacrificed lives. See, those in an authentic community of faith must all come willing to say, God, here I am placing myself on the altar. Everything I want, everything I am, everything I have, it's all yours. Take it. Because if we don't build the church on that foundation, then we're a bunch of selfish people with all different types of goals and all different types of desires. If I take my desires and I take my wants and I take what I think and I place it on the altar to Christ, then now it becomes what He wants and what He thinks. And then we can begin to build living sacrifices offered up to God. And once we get rid of all of those things, then we allow the Holy Spirit to come in and fill the void where those things were. So the first brick, and if you're thinking of it in a stage, we put that brick there, that is going to be living sacrifice. That is a sacrificed life. The second foundation stone would be transformed minds. Because he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? We, we studied it, so I'm not going to go into great detail. Go back and listen to the podcast. But the transformed mind is our way of thinking has been changed. We allowed God's Word to begin to penetrate, and it's not just a book of theory, and it's not just a book of suggestions. This is God's Holy Word, and it begins to change me, and it begins to change. This is my source of authority. This is my source of trust. This is where absolute truth comes from. And once I begin to see it that way, it changes the way I see the world. And if you don't have living sacrifices and, and transformed minds, you can't be a faith community. Because until we begin to see each other the way Jesus sees us, we'll never be willing to give. We'll never be willing to meet each other's needs. We'll never be willing to open ourselves up to become a community. So he says we need transformed lives. We need transformed minds, sacrificial lives. And then he said that we need to, to be humble, to have humbled hearts. What did he say in verse 3? 
we ought not to think better of ourselves than we are. Saying is, we need to come to the place, the third stone of a church that's growing, come to the place of saying, everything I have, everything I am, everything I'm ever going to be is because of God. And when I put that in that light, then who am I to be proud of anything? The thing I've got to be proud of in my life is that Jesus Christ loved me and saved me. And everything that flows out of that, that's where I get my pride. Now, am I proud of my kids? Yes. Am I proud of my wife? Yes. Am I proud of what we're doing here in this church? Yes. But all of that flows out of what? Knowing that the kids I have and my family and my wife and this church is all because of God, not because of me. And when I humble myself and I humble my heart and I get God's view of me, all of a sudden that becomes a building block that you can build on. So we have sacrificial lives and transformed minds and humbled hearts. And then we have the fourth one, and that is bound bodies. Now, what does bound bodies mean? Well, in verse 5, I hammered it to you for three separate weeks of chapter 12. He says, you belong to one another. You are not your own. You, when you join a church, I hate to tell you, even if you hadn't walked down an aisle and filled out a card, when you accepted Jesus Christ, you became a part of the church. And you became a part of the family. Your blood is the same as mine. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And in some ways, you're closer to my brother and sister than my biological brother and sister. Because we are bound together. For us to be an authentic faith community, if we are going to be living sacrifices and transformed minds and humbled hearts, then we have to recognize that you and I are connected and I need you and you need me. And when one of us mourns, we all mourn. And when one of us celebrates, we all celebrate. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. Why? Because we are connected. We need one another. And if one of us is not doing what God has called us to do, then the rest of us need to come and help lift them up to get them to that place. And if you miss any one of those four blocks, then you'll never be able to build a faith community. But there's a fifth block, and I don't really count it as a block. It's my illustration. I can do it how I want, okay? Four blocks. That's the foundation of the church. The flooring that lays on top, because it covers all of those and it flows out of all of those four things, is what he told us last week in verse 9. Love sincerely. We are sacrificed, and if my way of thinking is changed, and if I'm humbled and seeking God in everything that I do, and I recognize that you are my brother, and you are my sister, and we are a family, then the thing that holds all of that together is what he called agape love, that you and I are called to love each other unconditionally. That's family, right? Dysfunctional sometimes, but it's still family, right? Doesn't matter if I disagree with you or if we don't get along or if you're having a bad day and I'm having a good day. Why? Because we love each other unconditionally. We choose to love each other. It's not a feeling. I don't come in on Sunday morning and go, wow, I've got a feeling like I'm going to have to love these people. No, I choose. But God put in your heart this choice of saying, because he's part of my family, I'm going to love him. Don't, isn't that the way we love our siblings? How many times have you said, well, you've got to love them, they're family, right? That's the way it is in the church. And that is the floor that holds the whole foundation together. That is the floor that, that strengthens. When we love each other, then I can sacrifice, and, and I can continue to get in God's Word, and I can continue to be humble, and I can continue to recognize that we are together because it all is wrapped up in this idea that we love each other. And that you and I love each other with the love that Jesus Christ loved us. And that's the key to helping us understand. If we miss any one of these, 
we can't be an authentic community. We'll never be strong. And he tells us that's the motivation that, that keeps us going. These things that he lists here in verse 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 about how we're to act in the church. Why should we do these things this morning that I'm about to tell you? Because I'm sacrificed and I'm transformed and I'm humbled. Because I'm bound together with you and because I love you in spite of everything else. Because that's the way Jesus loved me. My life with those things being foundational, I can't help but doing what he's about to say we need to do. And then he's going to go on in verse 14 through 21 and talk about how we're to act to the people outside of the church. And it's the same motivation. You see, not only is it the way that we build community, it's also the way we go out and allow the community to come out and be a part of us because they're drawn to it. People are looking for a place to belong that has sacrificial love, that is transformed and allows them to be transformed, that is connected together as a family. And see, don't miss the fact that in a community, every person is vital. When God brings you to a church, that's why I tell people, they say, well, you know, I'm going to go visit church. Don't, don't go and leave a church until you know that the Holy Spirit has told you to leave. Don't leave because the preacher made you mad or the music made you mad or the, the, it was too hot in there or it's a closer church or a further away church. You go where the Holy Spirit tells you to be. You know why? Because you have a brick. You have a building block that we need in this church, if you're a member or a part of us, that if you're not playing a part, there's a hole. That's why every person being involved is vital. That's why all of us coming together is important. Now, that was my introduction. <laughs> Don't look at your watch. I'm not going to be long. I don't think, without telling you all of that, I don't think you would understand why these walls are so important. Because if you don't really understand what we're building on, if you don't really understand what Christ says about the church and how we're supposed to be, then you're never going to act upon it. And what Paul does here in these four verses is he gives three building blocks. Just three. Three stones or bricks that you and I are supposed to act upon to become an authentic faith community. Now you say, Pastor, three bricks is not a whole lot of bricks. Three blocks, you know, if we're going to be a faith community, surely you could give us a hundred of those things. Or, you know, what kind of wall are you going to be able to build with three building blocks? Well, imagine a hundred people doing three building blocks times 10. We did it for 10 weeks. A hundred people said, I'm going to do these three things. That, that's 300 for 10 weeks. That, that's 3,000. All of a sudden, these little bitty insignificant things that we think aren't important in the church all of a sudden become part of who the church is, become who we get recognized as, becomes what people out there see in us. So that's why each one of these things are important. The first thing that he said in verse 10 and 11 is that you and I, the first building block is we are to honor and serve one another. Now these aren't going to be rocket science, but they are going to be things that we don't do in the church. He says honor and serve one another. That word honor in the Greek is a heavy weight. It means paying somebody tribute, treating somebody better than you treat yourself means holding somebody in high regard. Philippians 2.3 says, In humility, consider others better than yourself. means graciously honoring those within the body of Christ. You can't 
if you hadn't laid yourself on the altar and if you're not walking in humility. But one of the first responsibilities that you and I have to those around us is to honor them, to honor their time, to honor their presence, to honor their gifts, to honor who they are. Not because of what they do for you, not because of something that you think they can offer. You honor them because they are part of the family. You and I need to learn to honor one another. We need to treat each other graciously, serving one another. Because you see, when you begin to honor people, when you begin to go in the church and you look around and you treat everyone in the church with honor and respect, you can't help but want to serve them. When you begin to think that they are so much better, they deserve honor, you'll treat them differently. And what he says is when we come to the church, we need to look around the room and, and realize that everyone is here is up on a pedestal. Now, if I had time, I'd give you a hundred ways that you can honor one another. But I don't. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you can honor somebody in this congregation this week. Treat them with regard. Pick somebody. Before you leave this morning, you're, pick somebody out, somebody here. Recognize, say, that, that's it, that's them. And then pray during the week. God, how can I honor them this week? God, how can I show them? Not just, not just in your mind, oh, they're, they're better than... Show them. How can I do it? How can I follow through? I dare you to do it. And then next week, instead of you picking somebody, come to church. Remember I told you a couple weeks ago, we're not supposed to come to church asking what can we receive. We're supposed to come to church asking how can I be used? How can I give today? Next week, come to church and say, God, Holy Spirit, show me somebody in this church that I need to honor. It doesn't even have to be somebody you know. And they don't even have to know that you're doing it or you did it. You can do it anonymously and God will get the glory. But say, God, show me how I can honor that person this week. And then what happens is it all of a sudden starts becoming an everyday part of our routine. And the first thing we think about when we come into the body of Christ is, I get to honor somebody today. What happens is most of us in this room have been beat up all week. Most of us in this room probably have been dishonored, treated bad, struggled, hurting disrespected the world out there kicking us around so what better place than to come into the body of christ and know that here i'm going to be honored but see when you are honoring people guess what happens people honor you can you imagine if just a hundred of us did that this week if just a hundred people in this congregation said this week i'm going to pick somebody i'm going to honor them and serve them in a tangible way in a tangible uh, way that they can know they are being honored can you imagine what difference it would make it becomes contagious because once you do it once guess what happens all of a sudden god begins to teach you something in your heart and you want to do it again and you want to do it again he says one of the building blocks is that you and I need to learn to honor each other. But he adds two descriptors here. So before you start making excuses in your head, I noticed when I said, I want you to do this this week, it got real quiet in here. And so before you start telling yourself, well, I got a busy week, Pastor. I'm going to put that off till two weeks from you know, next week and I'll do it, Pastor. It's just not. Before you make excuses, look what he said, how we're supposed to honor people. He said, honor them being zealous. He said, not lacking in zeal and honor them keeping your fervor. Do you know what zealousness means? It means to be excited about it. It doesn't want you to honor somebody kicking and screaming because the preacher made you something. You go, guys, 
preacher told us we got to honor somebody. What good is that? He wants you to be excited about it. Matter of fact, this idea of fervor is he wants you to be as excited about honoring and serving other people in the church as you are your favorite thing to do. I love fishing. So this week while I was reading this, God said, do you get as excited about honoring and serving people in the congregation as you do fishing? What's more important? He said, be zealous. What does that mean? It means have passion when you do it. Be excited. Keep doing it. Continuing to do it. Make it a priority. Begin to honor and serve one another. It changes the church from the inside out, and it changes how we look at one another. He says, honor one another. The second thing he says is we are to pray continually for one another. Now, you would think it would be common sense in church that we should pray for one another, but we don't. We say it a lot, don't we? Somebody says something, we, let's just be honest. I'm not talking about this church. There's another church down the road. Somebody comes in, how are you doing? I had a tough week, struggling, lost my job, marriage is on the rocks. I'll pray for you, right? Or even better, bless your heart. What that means is, I hear you, I don't have time to do anything about it. How many times have you said to somebody that you'll pray for them, but you didn't? See, what Paul is saying is he's saying we need to look at each other and we need to pray for one another. Every day, all week. You can't pray for all the members. But what you do is you pray for the people that God puts on your mind. When God puts somebody on your heart, you're driving in the car and all of a sudden somebody in your small group class or somebody you know comes to your mind, you think, why am I thinking about them? Because God's saying pray for them. And he gave some descriptors on how we're to pray. He said, first of all, when we pray... We need to pray joyful in hope. What does that mean? It means when you pray for somebody, you say, I don't know how to pray for that person. Pray that they might have hope. Do you know that hope is one of the most powerful weapons a Christian can have? Hope in Jesus Christ means that no matter what happens in this earth, something better is coming along. So no matter what they're facing this week, when God puts somebody in your heart, you say, God, I don't know how to pray for them, so I'm not going to pray for them. Pray that they would have hope, that they would be filled with hope, that they would be filled with the idea that God is in control no matter what's going on in their life, and he's going to take care of them. And then he said, pray that they would be patient in affliction. What does that mean? That means that you pray that they trust God when they're walking through a difficult time. Patience simply means I'm going to wait for God to do what he is going to do, and I believe it. When's the last time you prayed for somebody specifically? And pray for them specifically. You see, if each one of us knew that when we walked out of this place, that no matter what we faced, somebody in here, part of my family, my brothers and sisters, sometime, because I know the Holy Spirit's going to put it on somebody's heart, is going to be praying for me. You know how much easier that makes it? going through whatever I've got to face when I leave this place. Imagine how it would change our relationship one to another. Imagine how you would live your life if you knew in confidence that people were praying for you. Imagine what a difference it would make in those people you're praying for. He says we need to, brick number one, honor and serve. Brick number two, pray for one another. Then the last thing he says is we need to be aware and meet the needs of one another. He uses my favorite word in the King James. He says we need to pray and meet the needs with hospitality for the saints. The Greek, if you look at it in the Greek translation, says in regards to the needs of the saints, participate practicing hospitality. We pray for each other. We honor one another. And then thirdly, 
an authentic faith community will always meet the needs of one another. What needs? All needs, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially. You can't know the needs until you become aware of the needs. And that means getting out of yourself and opening your eyes. So before you can meet the needs, you have to become aware of the needs. Being an authentic faith community, when we are sacrificed and humbled and transformed and bound together with agape love, I become aware of people's needs because the Holy Spirit puts it on my heart. I don't have to be told. Somebody didn't have to call the church and say, listen, so-and-so has this need. I become aware of it. And, and here's a little hint. If the Holy Spirit puts somebody's needs on your heart, that means he believes that you have the means and the gifts and talents to meet those needs. Doesn't mean you can't get somebody else to help you, but it means it's on you happens is we find out, and, and this is what happens in church, and this is the way we've raised a church, and this is how we've trained the church. If somebody's in need, the first thing we do is we call the church and say, pastor and deacons, y'all better go and meet the needs of this person. It's not what they did in Acts. What did it say? They met each other's needs. Didn't have to be told. You got somebody that's in mourning, then you need to go and be a comfort to them the best you can. You know somebody that's feeling lonely, somebody that's feeling abandoned, then you might need to just go and be present with them. Somebody who's going through a struggle and they just need somebody to listen to them, then go and listen to them. That is meeting a need. But we can't do that until we get out of our own little shells and start asking God to show us. Asking God to make us aware, to get to the place where we are so in tune with the Holy Spirit in a community that we just sense the needs of others. We don't have to be told, we don't have to be guilted, we don't have to be pushed. We just sense it and we have a compassion to meet that need to the best of our ability. That's authentic community. Just three bricks. Just three little actions, and it doesn't seem like a big deal, but the problem is the church isn't doing it. We're not picking them up. It's much easier just to do church as usual and, and go through the routines that we do every week. We have our own little schedule. Rusty, why are you wanting me to come in here and all of a sudden open my eyes to, to people's needs around me? And why are you wanting me to worry about uh, giving hope and honor to somebody and serving? Because that's who we are. And if we're not, then we need to shut the doors because we're wasting our time. In a world, in a country, in a culture where more people are finding that kind of community outside of the walls of the church, we failed. And I'm not ready to give up because I believe God has a plan for this area. So we don't need more advertising. We don't need bigger budgets. We don't need bigger programs. We don't need more bells and whistles in the church. What we need to do is to get back to becoming an authentic faith community that the Bible calls us to be. That's the greatest church growth advice any church could ever get. Look at these foundations. Look at these bricks and ask yourself, how are you playing a role in us being a community? When we get to that point, when we honor and serve each other, when we pray for each other, when we are meeting the needs of each other, we become the body of Christ. We become a family. And when we get to that point, you know what happens? You don't want to miss church. Not because of what you might get, 
but because of what you can give. Afraid not to be there because, because this is your opportunity for God and the Holy Spirit to put somebody on your heart so that you can meet their needs. Let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered... And, and we're not under the law here, and I, we don't check roll, and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about coming to church. But let me ask you, have you ever thought about why it's so hard to get to church on Sunday? Well, let's just be honest. All of a sudden, Sundays have become the day that everything else is planned. There's all kinds of stuff. See, it was easy. That's why people, you know, let's go back to the good old days in the 70s, because it's blue law. You didn't do anything. You stayed home, you know, you had three TV channels and you were going to watch a TV preacher anyway, so you might as well go to church. But now you got soccer and sports and recreation things going on and you got all these other distractions. And so all of a sudden, all these other things are opening up. And, and then when you get ready to go to church, the kids are always the worst on Sunday morning. And the car messes up and your clothes that you laid out weren't ironed or the cat rolled on the dress you were going to wear and now you can't wear it and it becomes just a huge dysfunction and everybody's coming and griping and complaining and, and hungry. And it seems like you're always more tired on Sunday morning. And you can go to bed early and you wake up and you're like, I slept 12 hours and I'm tired. What if, throwing this out there, what if that was spiritual warfare because the enemy knew that somebody was going to be here that morning with an incredible need that you had the gift and the heart to meet, but you weren't. Have you ever had somebody you know, a neighbor, co-worker, friend, kids, parents that you know, tell you, hey, we came to your church Sunday, but you weren't there. We missed you. Now, I'm not trying to put guilt on you, but I just want us to think about it. Become a community of faith. When we are meeting the needs of other people, when we are reaching out, it's not a coincidence. God has a divine plan because the Bible tells us many times that God will meet your greatest need through your giving of yourself. So let me twist it around. What, what if that incredible need that you had that week was not met because you weren't there to be able to give of yourself so that God can meet your need. I'm not saying we can only do ministry on Sunday morning, but what I am saying is Sunday morning is when we are most in tune with what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to the body. God is calling us to community. When we are sensitive, when we are listening, that's when church happens. That's when authentic community takes place. We are surrounded this morning by thousands of people. We are surrounded by people who want to go where people know that people are all the same. Is that us? Is that you? Let's pray.